My name is Devin Hunter, and this is my show about witchcraft, the occult, and mysticism in the 21st century. This is Modern Witch. And welcome back to the Modern Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Hunter. It's been a while, witches. Um, I am so glad to be back. I had to take some time off. There were projects. There were things. Um, I wrote a book, um, which we'll talk about here in a second. And um, I just felt like I didn't have anything to talk about for a while. But now I'm back and I'm as opinionated as ever. And uh, I have a co-host, which I'm really excited about. Um, his name is Storm Fairy Wolf, and he's been on the show a few times. Um, but, uh, well, he's my co-host for the next 13 episodes, which is pretty freaking cool. Storm, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Oh, life's a dream. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm back in the, I'm back in the, the recording chair, which is pretty fun. So very excited about all of that. Um, there's been a lot going on and, uh, I wrote a book, like I said, uh, the witch's book of power, which comes out July 8th. I'm very, very happy and pleased, um, that I was finally able to do that. Um, and I'll totally, in an episode later on in the season, I will totally share with you uh, my experience with all that and um, hopefully even get the uh, the editor, the acquisitions editor, the lead acquisitions editor even, uh, from Llewellyn Worldwide, uh, who is my editor. And Storm, she's your editor as well, because you just finished your book. Yes, just a few days ago, in fact. I finally sent it in, and I'm working out some little minor details now, but it's all done I'm very pleased, and I'm already working on the proposal for book two of the series. Yeah. So we're going to totally do an episode that's all about like publishing and kind of our experience with it, because um, you've self-published before, Storm. Yeah, I, I've had a few um, projects that I've self-published. Back in 2003, I um, self-published a book called The Stars Within the Earth, which was a collection of poetry and spells kind of inspired from my work in the fairy tradition of witchcraft. I did also um, edit a, an anthology called By Which I Volume 1, um, Selections from the Fairy Uprising. That is now um, out of print. Um, and then I have a couple of books that I wrote on the first two levels of Reiki, and those are currently still available. All of those were self-published projects, but I'm very excited for this to be my first um, work with an actual publisher. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's um, you know, because all I did, I mean, I had the podcast, of course, which is an awesome show. Thank you for tuning in. Um, but uh, I did Modern Witch Magazine, um, and, and that was basically self-published. Well, that's not basically. It was self-published. Um, and then, you know, I always I always wanted to write a book. And if you've been listening to the show since the beginning, um, then you know that I've talked about it forever. Um, and I finally did it, which was really cool. And um so yeah, so we're going to do an episode just about the book, too. Storm's going to interview me, which is totally weird. Um, but um, <laughs> And we're going to talk about the book when it gets a little closer to the actual release of the book. Because right now, if you get excited about it, you have to like wait. So you should be excited about it. You still have to wait. But if you know what's going on in the book, then you're going to get even more excited. It's going to be a whole thing. So, um, you know, yeah, so definitely stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, you know, other than that, um, other than writing a book, um, and really working really hard, I would say on Black Rose, um, witchcraft, which you can just go to blackrosewitchcraft.com, um, with, uh, the Mystic Dream Academy. And, you know, that's a lot of work. I mean, cause we've got students from all over the world and we've got things, um, that definitely keep us busy. We were just at PantheaCon last month. We did a huge ritual, um, the Sacrament of Akate Triodia, which was badass, um, I was really, really happy with them. We have a great ritual team, Storm. Yeah, I was very impressed with, with how it all came together. And um, everyone was definitely um, devoted and plugged in. And um, also just the participants in the ritual. You know, there was a couple hundred people, you know, at least yeah, that yeah. showed up for this ritual. And um, I was very struck with how devoted they were and how seriously they took um, the workings of the ritual you know, because of course, part of the ritual was to choose a path between these two paths uh, mm -hmm. to open a door or to close a door forever. And people were, were really meditating on this and taking it very seriously. And, um, I was very, I was very struck by that. That was, it was a great ritual to be a part of. 
Definitely. Yeah, it was really, it was, it's pretty intense. Um, but I like intense rituals and, um, you know, we're really lucky the, the Black Rose community out where we live, um, we get to kind of get together physically, obviously, and, uh, and do amazing work together. Um, and it's, it's comprised of all people who've studied with me or studied with Storm and, uh, we get together and we, we plan these amazingly huge rituals like the Sacramento Picate Trioti. And if you've ever been to Pantheacon, if you've ever gone to one of these rituals, um, then you know we do these pretty elaborate, pretty big things. And, I, you know, to me, we do rituals, especially for the public, um, that's like an offering to the gods, you know, and that needs to be something that's really um, big and special and, and well rehearsed. And um, Absolutely. Yeah, so it, it was a good time. But that's a lot of time and energy. And so it's like between that... Um, between Black Rose and between uh, writing the book, which was, it's epic. The book is uh, over 400 pages long. It's like 80, it's almost 90,000 words. Storm, your book is like... Mine's a little over 100,000 words. Yeah, it's huge. And that's, of course, including the foreword. I was very fortunate to have the fabulous Orion Foxwood write the foreword to my book. And I'm very, very happy with, with, with that. And I'm very pleased. I'm feeling very blessed right now. Guess who wrote the foreword to my book? Why don't, you, why don't you tell us, Devin? Who wrote the foreword to your book? Christopher Penzak. The Christopher Penzak. World famous author Christopher Penzak. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was. It's pretty. Uh, he's he's awesome. He's a good friend of mine. Um, we've you know I met him um, when I was uh, oh goodness I want to say like nineteen or twenty, um, and uh, about a decade ago. And he came out, I was working with a store at the time, and, and he came out to teach a workshop. Um, and I totally just fell in love with him uh, as a teacher. I think he's he's kind of brilliant. And of course, you know, he comes from the East Coast. I'm from the Midwest. You're from the West Coast. Um, and, you know, I came out to the West Coast. But all of these areas kind of have their own flavor and their own vibe. And Christopher's done really amazing stuff, kind of um, not just the, our country, but like, you know, exploring the world and um, tapping into the mysteries and, and uh, presenting them in a way that I think is really, really valuable. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I just, I, he's kind of my teacher crush, I would say. As a teacher, <laughs> I, I have a crush on, on uh, Christopher. Um, but he's also a really good friend of mine. And so we've been, uh, somehow I was able, I guess, to, to get him to write the forward, because he doesn't write forwards to books. Like, the, he just doesn't do it. Um, and, you know, it, it, uh, I had, well, I had to do a lot of, of batting my eyes and, and, um, you know, smiling and, and poking and prodding and, and before I asked him, but it worked. And, uh, he succumbed to my witchy wiles and agreed to write the forward to my book. So it was a big deal. And, um, I'm, I'm just really blessed, uh, cause I think that's going to help with, uh, book sales initially, to be honest, with you. <laughs> um, forward by Christopher Penzak. Uh, but yeah, so it's really exciting. So there's all of the stuff that's going on with that. And then I just signed the contract for book number two, which is the Witch's Book of Spirits. Um, and that's going to be a total trip. So we'll talk about more uh, about all that kind of stuff as the season progresses, because we'll be um, doing, you know, well, lots of promotional stuff, I assume, Storm, for for our books that are coming out. Um, so yeah, so it's been crazy. It's been busy. We've, we've been all over the, the country. We've been, uh, writing books and teaching everywhere. And now we finally, you just, because you just finished your book, um, we right. were able to kind of put it into the schedule. So we've been, we've been wanting to come back for a while. Um, I missed you. I missed you lots and lots and lots. Um, I, I love my listeners and I've got some of the best damn listeners, I think in the podcast world. Um, so I, I, I just, I do, I missed you. Um, but there were a couple things that were keeping me from being able to come back. Part of it was I was just bored and I was like, what am I going to talk about? And I don't want to do an educational podcast because that's not what the show is. Um, we're a life and style podcast. And, uh, so, you know, there's a lot kind of in the way. And, um, on top of all of that, I wanted to be able to play music. And um, I, I'm so glad to have you on, Storm, as my co-host. Thank you. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. I'm looking forward to this 13-episode journey with you. See, I'm, I'm trying to convince Storm to do his own podcast uh, because you had a magazine that you were editing called uh, Witch Eye, which was the right. Journal of the Fairy Uprising. Right. It started out as a little zine, um, who, which was created by another fairy initiate, and then probably about six, seven, eight, um, issues in, um, she handed it over to me and, um, I continued that on and then it transformed into a full size magazine and went from a zine to a journal. 
<clears throat> but in the last um, few years, I've just had other projects going on and just haven't really given it the attention that I think it really needs in order to in order to work. And so it's been a few years since we've had an issue. So yeah, we were thinking about maybe kind of revising it um, later this year as a podcast. So we will see how that goes. So th- this is my, this is, well, well, no, this isn't just the attempt because, you know, Storm and I've talked about him coming on the show and co-hosting with me for a while, but um, hopefully this will be the thing that kind of gets that moving for him. And I don't know, it'd be awesome because I think you'd be an awesome podcast. Well, host. thank you. We'll see how it goes and, and we'll see what the listeners have to say. If, if they want to hear me more, then I will do it. If they don't want to hear me more, then probably I won't. So we'll see how that goes. Well, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Well, all right. Well, um, on this episode, um, we are going to be talking about pop culture. Um, Pretty much, I mean, there's a couple of reasons for this. One is that, um, as you know me, um, I am obsessed with all things pop culture and witchcraft, um, where those two things intersect. And Storm is just as crazy about it as I am. So we thought this would be a good episode to kind of introduce him and kind of his platform, um, we'll say um and uh get our feet wet again because it's been a minute and there have been some really interesting developments in uh, pop culture and witchcraft since i've been able to talk about it on the show so very exciting so stay tuned we'll be right back after this break um and i look forward to well chatting with you more With 25 years in service, the Mystic Dream is today's premier marketplace for all your spiritual supplies. Join us at our Walnut Creek location nestled in the San Francisco Bay Area of California or online for a state-of-the-art shopping experience. The Mystic Dream offers a wide selection of candles, statues, jewelry, crystals, books, tarot and oracle cards, as well as conjure, root work, and witchcraft supplies. Join us online at www.themysticdream.com. The Mystic Dream, where ancient wisdom meets the new aeon. And welcome back to the Modern Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Hunter. Storm, are you still with me? I'm here. He hasn't left yet, folks. Um, <laughs> so, pop culture and witches. There have been so many amazing things. We, we've had the witch movie come out. We have um, Witches of Eastwick, which was awesome. Salem, which is great. It's it was the like Witches of East End. East End. East we, Witches Eastwick, of East End. I defaulted. I defaulted. <laughs> witches of East End. Um, and we've got these, these uh, activists doing things against gentrification um i think in new york and we're gonna talk a little about them and they go by witch and they dress up like witches and they do things to scare old white people um <laughs> and uh, so we're, there's a lot to talk about and um i'm really excited about it. so let's 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 talk just for a moment if we will because for for me the love of, of kind of witches and pop culture it came from uh, well a couple of things well first of all can we say buffy um, I had Willow was a major, major factor absolutely, in my life. Absolutely. And I don't want to go in crazy. I bring this up because today is where we are recording. It is the 19th anniversary of the first episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I had to give a shout out to Willow because hello. Willow. She's amazing. We love Willow. Um, Dark Willow, especially. Oh, yeah. Come on. Bored now. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's amazing. So uh, shout out to that. So Willow was a big part of that. And Giles, I really wanted to be more like Giles than Willow, though, um, for a lot of reasons. One is, of course, um, he was British. And we all know British people sound more interesting. Um, but, you know, anyway. So, but yeah. So we had that. And... I really I really resonated with Willow, personally. I mean, even even early on when she wasn't revealed to be a witch. You know, there was just something about Willow. She was kind of nerdy. She was kind of shy. Because you're both genders. You know, and it's because we're both genders. There That's you go. What it is. But but I definitely kind of I kind of embodied that. You know, going through school, I was definitely kind of a wallflower. Definitely shy, more of an introvert. You know, and um, so Willow, I, I just really identified with Willow. And then later, when it was revealed that oh, she was a witch, you know, that was even more kind of squee time for me mm-hmm. because I, it was like even more to resonate with. And I really love where they took her character, you know, how as she got more powerful in the craft, you know, it was really kind of this analogy of using magic as an analogy for um, drug use. Mm-hmm. 
And we can debate that if we want to, but <clears throat> the way that they did it in the show, I thought was just brilliant. And um, they were really able to to show that, oh no, she, she was relying on magic. She was using it as a crutch and became addicted. And, um, you know, so I, I really love where they took that. When she went into dark willow mode, um, kind of all bets were off. That yeah. was just kind of brilliant. Yeah. Um, there was also uh, Vincent Van Gogh for me on on Scooby Doo Mystery Adventures, I believe it was, um, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know Vincent Price doing the voice of Vincent Van Gogh, who was this like uh, occultist who lived in this super fabulous Victorian home and would assist the Scoobies because you know instant segue from. Uh, talking about Willow going into Scoobs, right? The Scoobs. Um, the Scoobs. Um, but yeah, but, you know, helping out, um, you know, those meddling kids. And it was, it was, uh, he, he was a big part of, of, in my mind, kind of the creation of, of what I wanted to grow up and be, which is kind of interesting. Um, but for you, I mean, and I, we don't want to spend all this time on stuff that, you know, I'm sure everybody's talked about a million times, but, um, but for you, it was Bewitched. Oh, absolutely. When, well, I was born in 1971. And, um, so Bewitched was running in the sixties. And, um, so I was watching reruns of that show when I was just a little boy. And that probably, I know I've talked about this story before, um, but that was probably what brought me into witchcraft was just this idea, you know, that witches existed because I was watching them on TV and, you know, hello, Elizabeth Montgomery as Samantha Stevens really was a good, um, kind of doorway into that. She was beautiful and she was witty and talented and, um, and kind, you know? And so these were things that were not necessarily associated with witches. And so it really kind of changed the playing field in terms of pop culture and how people um, responded to witches. <clears throat> but I will say that one of my favorite characters from that show was of course, Endora, mm -hmm. the fabulous, you know, mother of Samantha Stevens. Right. And she actually had in the second episode of Bewitched, she, delivers a quote um she delivers this quote this statement about witches and the nature of witches that i just think is beautiful and poetic even to this day and so i wanted to share that with you this is coming from endora by the way we are quicksilver a fleeting shadow a distant sound our home has no boundaries beyond which we cannot pass we live in music a flash of color we live on the wind in the sparkle of a star to me, this really has summed up um, my poetic view of the craft and probably in some deep subconscious way kind of led me to the fairy tradition, which is really about embracing ecstatic um, poetics as an avenue into the witch power. So that's a whole other conversation. It's probably a whole other episode yeah, you know, to talk about. Easily. But this really kind of shows that even little things like a simple little sitcom can have maybe just this nugget of inspiration, this nugget of truth. And so that's something that I would like to talk about as we go into some of these other pop culture witch references. Like what what can we take as actual witches? What can we take from these portrayals? You know, and obviously there's going to be other things that we want to leave behind, you know, um, but what can we take? What did they get right? Mm. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I firmly believe, and I've, I've talked about this on the show before, that, um, you know, like, even as much as I hate how much Tolkien has seemed to kind of seeped into modern paganism, um, he was tapping into something. I mean, you know, Ents, oh, come yeah. on, Ents, right? Um, <laughs> come on. So, you know, there, so I, I think that um, that thing that we as witches that we kind of tap into, I think that um, whenever there's a spark of the witch fire or the witch blood or the witch power, um, sometimes it always doesn't end up being that that person becomes a witch because circumstances or whatever, um, lack of, of, of knowledge about it or where to find it. But those people are inherently magical and are able to tap into things. And I, I think that those end up being the creative types that write the good stories. And well, yeah, you know, this is actually that. one of the main tenets I would say of, this is one of the main tenets I would say of fairy tradition itself is this idea um, uh, of what some of us call the hidden kingdom, you know, which is the idea that certain artists and authors and poets and other creatives are by the virtue of their creativity are able to tap in to the hidden realm, to the hidden kingdom, which is the other world, you know, the, the magical spiritual presence of the land, um, 
from which witchcraft originates um, and other spiritual powers originate. And through the virtue of their creative power, you know, they are tapping into and expressing, they're mediating into this world through their art, you know, these spiritual principles. And so this is a, a, a major tenet of the fairy tradition. And this is why sometimes um, it's said that fairy is the religion of art, because it's really about that poetic ecstasy, that creative ecstasy that allows us to step outside of our own limited consciousness and touch the infinite. And we find this in places, you know, in pop culture even. You know, these are these hidden gems that just show up. Maybe the artist or the author, the writer, you know, they didn't consider themselves a witch. They didn't consider themselves magical. But through their creative process, they've tapped into something genuine and they've then expressed it into the world. And those of us that have the eyes to see are able to pick that up and make draw our own conclusions from that. So there you go, folks. It's a real thing. <laughs> um, okay, so so we kind of hit on this with um, when we were talking about Willow, but I want to talk to you about the magicians um, because you, oh, you yes. mentioned how magic with Willow is kind of used as like the example of drug abuse, right? And that's totally the theme, at least early on, uh, with magicians. I, where the season isn't over yet. I don't know; it hasn't ended yet, or did it just end? No, I don't think so. We're still into it. But um, this it, is the problem with watching things like on demand. Yeah. You know, I don't exactly know. There's been a lot of debates and things we've been watching and stuff. But anyway, but the um, so the Magicians is a sci fi original series that is kind of like adult Harry Potter. Right. Uh, I mean, there's cussing and there's fucking and, you know, there, there's beautiful people and um, and amazing magic with lots of hand gestures. Which is what do they call it? It's um, it's tutting. Tutting. I guess that's a dance term. Dance term. And uh, I've never touched hand, before. Hand gestures. Yeah. Yeah. So it's tutting. Cool. So they tut a lot. It's like magical voguing. Think it, of it that way. It is, and and they just kind of sometimes they say a spell, sometimes they don't. They just kind of you know intensely tut, and um, right. things happen. But what's interesting to me is the dynamic between the magician. And the actual power itself, whatever it is that they're kind of working with. And they don't really explain why a magician is a magician. No, like, at least not yet. They haven't gone there yet. No. They've we... alluded that like magic is everywhere. And then once you're aware of it, you know, you can tap into it. But not everyone. Right. There's only certain people in the in that universe that can tap into the omnipresent magic. Yeah. So, so where are you at with it? I mean, because we've seen, I think, at least six, eight of it. Whatever. We're all we're current up like to this eight point. or nine. I yeah. think. Yeah. That's what it is. So, but where are you thinking? I mean, like, what is your, what are your thoughts, Storm Fairy Wolf, on on the magicians and that idea of magic as a drug and how that's kind of interacting with the characters? Well, I think okay, if, if we're talking about magic as a drug in the magician sci-fi universe. Really, we're seeing more of that played out in kind of the the rebel factions because, of course, you have to kind of set this up. There's the main magical presence in this universe is a school of magic, um, break bills. Yep. And um, so this is basically this is often referred to poetically in the show as the garden path. Mm -hmm. And um, and so this is really about doing it very safely because it's revealed that magic can kill you very easily and it can consume you. And so they take a very straightforward, very um, cautious approach you know, to magic. But then there are rebel factions and they're often referred to as hedge witches. And these are people that maybe for whatever reason Maybe they some some of them weren't accepted into break bills or perhaps other magical universities. I'm not really sure, um, or perhaps they, they were expelled or whatever. <clears throat> and so now they are um, working on the sidelines, basically trying to learn spells and and magic. And they're really kind of shown as being kind of magical junkies. Mm -hmm. You know the way that they film it. They're in these you know, dilapidated warehouses or these other, you know, spaces where it seems like a flop house and, you know, they have their own kind of um, cult hierarchy and it's all very um, dingy and gray and depressing as opposed to something like break bills, which is, you know, upbeat and people are partying, even though it's very serious and people can die, you know, you still have like this kind of college party atmosphere, um, but you know that something's looming. 
something's looming behind all that. And I, I have a feeling that like it's being set up to where, oh, Brake Bills is kind of, they're the good guys. And then, you know, the Hedge Witches, they're the bad guys. But I really get the sense that that is just really not the case. It, it seems to be much more gray. And I, I, and I delight and gray. In, in the gray areas, yeah. personally. Yeah, I've, um, I've, I've really appreciated the idea that, you know, in, with Brake Bills and the students there, they consider themselves to be classically trained. Um, whereas the, uh, these, these hedge witches don't. And they, I mean, and I mean, they're literally like trading sex acts. I mean, they don't do it on the show, but they talk about how some of them are trading sex acts for spells because right. it's this thing and they, you know, they don't have access to, to real spells and otherwise. And so they kind of trade amongst themselves and it's become a drug. It's a, it's a bartering system. Right. But then we got this interesting character that just showed up, um, who is a graduate of break bills uh, and he seems to be helping hedge witches kind of find their way to a healthier relationship with magic. So I'm excited to see where that goes. Um, and we just got him with this last episode, but that's all I know about him. Right, um, right, right. We'll see. So we'll see. How He's probably goes. evil too. But so, on, but <laughs> probably, probably. Um, so, would you? Is this a show that you would totally recommend to people? I would totally recommend The Magicians. It's one of my favorite shows on TV right now. It's a lot of fun. And um, I will also just say that as a gay man, there's a lot of eye candy. Lots. It's, it's very lots nice. I love the characters. Candy. There's an openly gay main character, Elliot. Yeah. And um, and he's Open, just... Oh, and there's a gay love, there's a gay love story. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I, I will just, I don't want to give anything away about that because I'm assuming that many of our listeners have not right. seen the show yet, but I will say it was... Um, it was very, you know, what I've seen so far has been very brief in terms of that gay love story, but it's also been kind of on the level of um, Buffy epic. Yeah, it's been, it's you know, deep. So... Like it's a deep thing with the characters. And um, that's pretty enticing to me. So, yeah. Okay, so Magicians is a go, I would definitely say. Um, now, my new favorite, which is only new because I, I wasn't watching it when it was first airing. Uh, I think we watched like the first three episodes and then just kind of like walked away from it um, for whatever reason. And then I finally, I was cleaning the house and I thought, I'm going to turn Salem on. Oh, I knew it, Salem. And, and I know the uh, I know the reason we walked away and I'll talk about that too. But. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it takes a minute to get into it, but um, it's and you really didn't know good. what to expect. I mean, and that was the other thing is I, I, it's unlike any show I think that's come out on the subject Oh yeah, no, it's um, it's, it's actually more like an awesome dark show. Than anything, if it you, does if have that feeling shadows, of yeah. like classic dark shadows, you know, it, where it, it, it's it. like a soap opera to some degree, but it's it's grounded to some degree in yeah. you know the um, the mythology, I will say anyway, of um, Salem and the witch trials there. Um, I, I will say that the reason that we stopped watching it though was because I really do feel. And I don't want to say anything bad about people, but the um, one of the main actors, who yeah. um, who, oh, the guy that plays John Alden, mm-hmm. I just I, I didn't find him believable at all because he just I don't know he just wouldn't hold an accent. It kept and, changing, and yeah. it kind of changed, and I just he he annoyed me, and so that was. But everything else about the show was awesome, and I will say that eventually I got over it, and even the guy playing John Alden, I was able to accept. But it's a really good show, and I love how they draw from imagery from the witch trial period you know like the witch is familiar one of the the main characters um mary sibley mm-hmm. you know she has a familiar that's a toad and um she suckles it with her witch's teat yep. which i believe is on her thigh it's right in her, in her thigh. it's her witch's mark and this is where she su- and you see her suckling it and then at some point she takes it and she stuffs it into the mouth of her husband mm-hmm. who then swallows it magically of course and it possesses him and so mm-hmm. it's keeping him That's under so her cool. thrall yeah it's definitely not a show for people who want their witches to be sabrina ask or samantha ask um, it's definitely like, uh, I don't know. It's black. Ma- I mean, you know, if we're going to think of the classic term of black magic, well, it you know, is it's very black magic. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I Which mean, I love, the but. early on, I mean, the, the stated work of the witches in the Salem, um, television program is that they want to kill the Puritans. You know, they are there specifically to bring about a plague. 
you know, and it's a war. And then the more that you learn about it, you realize, oh, this is a long-standing war yeah. that the witches have had with humankind because humankind has been, you know, repressing them and you know, killing them and keeping them down. So you start to feel sorry to some you degree totally for the witches. Sympathize with the witches, but. They're also kind of evil. I mean, yeah. part of their thing is that to bring about this plague, they have to kill 13 innocents. And yeah. I'm not going to go into exactly how that happens yeah. or, you know, or, or doesn't happen, you know, but they don't kind of whitewash it. I mean, no. it's like, but, and yet here they are causing all these problems and yes, they're going to try to destroy the Puritans and all this. And yet you still are rooting for the witches. You know, there's something just so cool about them and their plight. And even when they are being evil and they're torturing people, and you know, you still kind of want them to win. And I think it's an extra bit of um, interesting drama that, of course, then there's factions even just within the witches that are kind of fighting amongst themselves. And that, that really makes it very interesting. But I love the magic, you know, the spell work that they do is beautiful. And it really seems to be from that era. I'm not saying it's authentic. There's no like, there's no like lightning bolt shooting from their fingertips. There's nothing like that. It's just, um, it feels to me that the magic that's represented on the show could be real. Like it, it feels to, to some me that, degree, like, you know, to some degree, it actually it could go that way. And there's some, there's some pretty macabre stuff. There's some big things that, I mean, there is, there is that one where there's like a, a, a secret door that gets opened right, by spring blood on that, yeah. it. Yeah. And it just, it magically just disappears, you know? So there, there is some fantastical, yeah. you know, stuff that goes on. Um, but at the same time, it does kind of have that feel of like, oh, well, maybe, you know, the, the way that they've shot it. I think their um, special effects team has done a really good job. Their makeup team has done a really good job. And for I will say for the most part, the acting has been awesome. Season two also gave us the delight of having Lucy, Lucy Lawless. Lawless. Love her. She is an awesome actress and just her character is phenomenal in the show as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was, uh, that was, her coming on was, to me, the beginning of starting to look at the show like a modern version of Dark Shadows. Um, it was when her character made the entrance in season two. Um, and what an like, entrance it was, and it was too. a grand entrance. It was beautiful. Um, and, and by the time it's all, you know, said and done with, I thought that whole story arc was just fucking gorgeous. Um, and, and it really made all of these other things within the storyline motivate and drive and mm-hmm. kind of move forward, which was really great. Um, and now we've got uh, Marilyn Manson is coming on season three. Oh, really? Yes. So well, I know that he had done the, um, the theme song the theme song, which is, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So he's going to, he, apparently he's coming on as like a mad barber or a bloody barber. So oh. almost a, uh, what is it? Um, Sweeney Todd. Right, right, right. Thing, which Barbara will be kind Street. of interesting. Um, and I'm like, how is that going to fit in with a bunch of witches? We'll see. We'll see. Because well, they're yeah, not going to well, get rid of the witches, but I hope No, how, could you, how can you get rid of the witches? It's Salem. Know. I mean, that's the whole that's point. That's the whole point of the show. But yeah, they're going to have a bloody barber, and it's Marilyn Manson. So that'll be interesting. I'm like, um, I'm a 75% fan of, of Marilyn Manson. There's like 25% of Marilyn Manson. I'm like, man, I could do without that. But I think 75% of them, I'm like, you're awesome. And your music is cool. And Moloch, my my uh, my familiar, he's like obsessed with a, a song that Marilyn Manson sings. And so every once in a while, I which have one to, is that? What song is Deep that? Deep Six. It's like a total oh. headbanger kind of, of song. Okay. Um, but he likes hard rock. My my familiar loves hard rock. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I'll play that every once in a while. And you're, kind of, de- you're definitely know, a modern witch. It's that's for damn sure. Yeah, I don't I don't have to feet, suckle him from the witch teat. Um, by any means, that's probably for the best. I think that would be rather awkward. Yeah, you know, yeah, it would be weird. (laughs) People, hey, people do that stuff. They talk about having sex with their spirit guides all the time. It's something that I do. I don't advocate for that either. But whatever. Anyway, but so it's an interesting. It was an interesting show, and um, very excited uh, that Marilyn Manson's coming on because I think that'll be an interesting uh, addition to the plot. Um, But it, it and it is something I'd recommend. But it's it's definitely you have to take the whole series. With I don't want to say a grain of salt because that's probably how about, the how about a handful thing. of sea salt? We'll leave it at that. Yeah, and just kind of keep it with yeah. you because there's a couple of moments. Like I have a student who we we talk about it and and he hated it. He hated it. 
Um, and he's usually into that kind of stuff, but he just couldn't, he couldn't do it, especially, you know, when Lucy Lawless got on and kind of what she represented is as far as a witch goes. And I just was like, this is fucking brilliant. This is amazing. This is what we need. Um, so, you know, I kind of like watching the shows where the witches have the upper hand. Right. Where witches have. Well, and I will say one of the things that I really loved about the show too, the, with the witches having the upper hand, but at the same time they don't. Because most of them are women mm-hmm. and they're living in a hugely patriarchal society. Not that we're not, yeah. you know, but especially at that time. But it's not pure tenement. It's, it's not, well, know. and it's, it's spelled mm-hmm. out, yeah. you know, that women have no power without a man. Mm-hmm. And so this is an ongoing theme. You know, Mary Sibley is using her familiar to possess her husband so that she can basically have her Who's way. Who's in charge of the town. He's in charge of the town. Yeah, he's one of the founders, his, you know, fa- founding families, families yeah. of the town. And so she's positioned herself in, in this you know, place to have as much power as possible. But when that is challenged, it all, you know, you can see that it's like her, 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 her thread of power is rather tenuous. And I think they do a really good job of kind of playing that up, that the witches have all this power and yet they don't, they're still so very vulnerable at the same time, you know, and I, and they've done a good job. It doesn't feel unreal, you know, where I've seen some shows who are like, well, dude, you have all these magical powers. You should just be able to get out of this, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, like going back to bewitched for a minute. I remember one yeah. of those cute little episodes where they actually went back in time to the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, why would any witches at all, if they have the powers of any of the bewitched witches, why would any of them ever have been caught? Because they can snap their fingers or twinkle their nose and they just disappear or cause everybody to forget or, you know, whatever. Why would any of them have been caught? And they had to go through like all these convoluted reasons as to why, here in Salem, the show Salem, you don't really get that feeling. You know that they're very powerful, but you also get the sense that there's definite limits mm-hmm. to what they can do. You yeah. know, so yeah. Well, and and that's such a big part of this. I mean, what drives the story forward is them being put in these situations, then having to use magic to help. It's it's awesome. So I I recommend it, but it's definitely a, a little darker and a little more macabre. It's um. Uh, and again, it kind of reminds me of Dark Shadows. So if you're somebody who who knows what Dark Shadows is, which means you're cool, um, <laughs> then then I think you'll like it. The original, I would say it. the original Dark Shadows. Not, yeah, not the horrible Johnny Depp movie remake. Thing. That was a that travesty. Absolutely. And there was sadness. actually a brief remake. I want to say, was it in the 90s? It's all blurred it to me now. I think it was. And that was kind of whatever. But the original, the original. Dark Shadows, yeah. that's, that's the stuff. That's where it's at, yeah. Um, but you know, I also, it's, it's kind of like, it's a horror series. I mean, it's just bottom line. It's, it's a horror series. So it, it is meant to kind of squeak you out every once in a while. And, and they do cool stuff like feeling the, peeling the faces off of dead people so that they can use them as, um, basically contact their spirit in, in the other world. And like you do, with it. like you do, like you do Thursdays. Um, but yeah, it was good, you know, and, um, I, I, I've recommended, we just finished, we bought season two because we, we had to like watch it and we couldn't find it on demand. So we ended up buying it. That's how, that's how good it is, folks. We spent money. Yeah. I bought the entire season two two, because like I couldn't wait. So, so I think in April is when, that's what I'm hoping hoping. season one and two both premiered in April. So I'm hoping that that's the case. I, I don't have any info right now, but stay tuned. Stay tuned. We'll tell you to start watching it but yeah so i'm excited about that um you should watch it so i def i recommend it storm do you recommend it i i do recommend it yeah yeah and it's so funny because i was the one who got out of it first i was like oh my god i think it's crap you know whatever and it was really because that actor couldn't keep an accent and um it just irked me and um and i will say there's been a couple things that just from an actual witch's standpoint you know i've been like oh gosh i can't believe they said that like at one point, Mary Sibley refers to herself as the Sam Hain of yeah. the Hive, Ugh. and they're using Hive like, like we would use Coven yeah. to some degree. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, really? But the thing is, like that, and like many other pop culture, you know, witch shows or movies, whatever, these are not documentaries. These are not meant to be showing Wicca. These right. are not meant to be showing the actual practice of religious or magical witchcraft. Right. It, it, it is fantasy. And one thing I will say as an actual witch, as an actual warlock, Um, I think it's really important to recognize that witchcraft is a very large umbrella term and there's a lot of different types of witchcraft. And um, I don't know where you wanted to go next, but I'm thinking that, you know, we might want to talk about the witch movie because that's next because this is um, something I've heard a lot from people in the witch community who are very upset 
you know, by this movie because it's showing witches in a bad light. And the first thing I want to say about that is, well, the movie The Witch, its subtitle is A New England Folktale. Mm-hmm. And this is specifically drawing from folktales of, of the time. We're, we're looking at circa 1630. And so this is really almost a documentary in the sense of what would life be like for these people? Yeah. You know, who lived in this time, who have these deeply held religious convictions and who really lived in fear all the time. Cause that's really played up. You know, the, the uh, movie starts out with the family basically being banished from their village. Mm-hmm. You know, the father is basically accepting, you know, he's given the opportunity. I guess he can repent We're, we don't know why or what they did. And that's not really the point. But he doesn't, maybe because of pride is kind of what I get the impression of. And then now they have to go out into the woods and make their own living. And if you think about that, 1630, I mean, that would be hard for people today. Like if they couldn't live in a city and they had no access to trade or, you know, to any of the basic life necessities, that would be hard for any of us now. And can you imagine what it'd be like for them? You know, so they go out into the Mm -hmm. woods and they start making their life and things start happening, you know, a baby goes missing, your crops are now blighted, you know, and what are you going to do? At that time, you probably are going to blame witches because this is basically the, the, the scapegoat, you know, of the culture at the time. You know, if anything goes bad, it's because a witch has cursed you. Right. Well, and they, and they kind of reference the, the whole thing about, you know, that, um, like they weren't from there or whatever. I mean, like they, they had come over from the boat on the boat, yeah, they were and, from England. Um, and, the, you know, even the, the mother and, and a part of the story says, you know, I just wish I could go home to England. Um, right. And, and so that you get this idea. But what, what that also means is that they took the hysteria that was running rampant in England at the time. They brought all the fear and all that stuff with them over. I mean, all of those, those colonialists did. So you get this idea that, you know, here these people are from a, you know, from England, um, where they're used to obviously being around more people and and being a part of a very specific uh, community, and then they you know they uh, show up to New England and they get booted out of their community, and it sounds like it's because the father is more religious. It kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah, like he was being more Puritan than the townsfolk were. Right. More and, Puritan than thou. Yeah, and so uh, and a kind of kerfuffle. They end up leaving, and anyway, but yeah. So they end up on the outskirts of nowhere, and it's right on the the border of a forest. And so the forest, to me, is a character, you know, in the story because it's like the ominous Absolutely. thing that you know they they would get lost in, and these things would happen to it. But I'm just gonna say, my favorite character. Is Black Phillip. Black Phillip. Black Phillip. Um, I loved Black Phillip. I mean, he is totally the scene stealing goat um, right. of the movie, you know. Um, but Black he... Phillip says you're wicked. Black Phillip says you are wicked. <laughs> um, it, it's it's a it, he was awesome, and uh, and we're not going to give anything away because the, I know the director specifically said he didn't put a lot of stuff out about Black Phillip because he didn't want people to go into the movie. Um, having an inkling about how things might end. And so um, Black Phillip becomes like the coolest character to me um, personally. But you know there's something wrong with that goat. Like the minute you, minute you see him, you know, you're <laughs> like, oh, hey, he's not, a, he's not, he's not quite right. There's he's something not quite normal. Well, I mean, you have the, the two young twins who claim that they, crazy that they're shits. talking to yeah. Black Phillip and that he's telling them all these things. Whenever know. twins are in a horror movie, you know. Right? Yeah. Creepy. Loved yeah. it. It was great. Yeah, it was really, even just, I will say, from the standpoint of just, like, set design and um, costuming, you know, they did such a good job. Like, all of the costumes were actually Mm hand-stitched, you know, and they wanted it to be with materials that would have been available at the time. There was a couple things that they took liberties with, um, not that any normal person would notice, you know, but um, it was a really good thing. But one of the things that I really liked about the movie was you don't know for certain if these things are physically happening or maybe it's a hallucination, it's all a hallucination. it could be a hallucination. And I, I got, not that they specify this, but you know, there is a scene where, you, where the, their crops are blighted uh-huh. and just knowing what I know right. about the time, you know, even fast forwarding, you know, into like the Salem witch trials, you know, there's all this evidence now or, uh, you know, theory that maybe they were suffering from ergot poisoning, Yeah, you know? And so, and this would have been very similar to the effects of LSD, 
And so people saying that they were, you know, oh, they were flying around at night or they were seeing these apparitions or they're being pinched or they're going into fits of convulsions. These are all things that can happen from ergot poisoning. And they wouldn't have known at the time, they didn't have the science to know at the time what was actually going on. And so, of course, you put that in the puritanical mindset and it, well, how does that manifest? Oh, it's witches who are tormenting you. But I, I believe the crops happened after the baby was stolen. So there was oh, it's already quite like possible. this thing. Because to me, to me, the movie was well, at least really that's when about, we saw it. like, to me, the movie was really about kind of the hell that those people created for themselves. Um, right. Uh, just as a culture, you know, the, the, the trappings of witchcraft weren't really anything more than they were freaking themselves out and they kept perpetuating this horrible story, you know, around and around and around, which, you know, I, I'm like, I, I love the sabbatic craft. I'm all about the, you know, the black goats and the yellow birds and, you know, all of the, I, I'm all about <laughs> Flying it. Flying like, to the Sabbath at midnight. Exactly. Like I am, that is my magic. But I, I, and I think that that image of witches totally ended up affecting the way that witchcraft itself developed in our country. So, you know, to me, it's, it's just a part of our history. And, and the director who also wrote the story, um, took, a lot of time and a lot of effort to make it as historically accurate as possible. Right. And so you you really get this sense, at least I did in the movie, that these people were like exiled to nowhere, to like the Badlands, basically, the unsettled territories. Um, and they were right against this forest that was really dark and really dense where they had ended up settling. And they thought of themselves as spiritual um, kind of pilgrims, you know, who were going out and they were um, settling new territory. And it was, you know, it was the spiritual thing for those people to go and do that. Oh, absolutely. Part of that, that world and that dynamic. So and the father's very pious and, you know, and so it's, it's really this heaven and hell kind of battle almost, you know, or at least of minds, the Puritan heaven. Um, and of course in Puritanism, you were born fucked up and you, that's just the way it was going to be unless you repented enough. But, um, you, so you get that to me, it was like, that's what the story was. It was, it was this, uh, it was more mental to me yeah. than anything. And I loved the ending. Um, and I know a lot of people didn't. Um, right. There was a lot of like, I, lo that. I loved it too. And, um, and again, we don't want to give anything away. Um, and that's kind of very difficult, you yeah, know, yeah. talking talking about it. But I don't want to give anything away because I think the whole movie really is a transformative journey, mm -hmm. you know. It, and so, if you haven't gone out and seen The Witch yet, I would recommend that you do. <clears throat> but keep this in mind that when you are watching it, that it is a journey. You're going on the journey um, with the main character, and um, so just kind of keep that in mind. This is almost like a trans journey. And um, just watch the development of this main character and how this all plays out for her. And um, yes, it's definitely couched in the trappings of a puritanical mindset, but that's the point of the movie. Right. This isn't a documentary about Wicca. No. This isn't showing... Thank God. Which, you're right. This isn't showing witchcraft as a viable path. This is really showing witchcraft as a fear, mm -hmm. but we still have this transformative journey that the main character goes on about moving through fear. And I say finding power through that. And that's all I want to say yeah. about that. I did write a, a, a review. It's a great review. Thank you. Um, you can find that on my website at fairywolf.com. That's F-A-E-R-Y-W-O-L-F.com. And um, it's The Witch as the Initiatic Journey. So um, kind of check good. that out and, and you can comment about that on Twitter or on Facebook. Let me know your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I think I really like the movie. I'm going to go back and see it again. I'm going to buy it. I've d I have to own it. Yeah. It's a, it's just a beautiful film too. And it's know? to me, it's going to go right up there with like the wicker man and, um, uh, some of those, you know, that's that it's, it's going to become a cult classic. I, yeah, I fully absolutely. Believe. But I, I want to say, I have heard a lot of modern practitioners, really condemning the movie because yeah. it shows witches doing horrible things Ugh, get over it you know and i'm like well this is the mindset this is what was going on at the time in yeah. the puritanical mindset and again we don't know if this is really happening it could be really happening it could be just hallucinations but that's the dream realm and this is kind of the realm that that actual witches exist in we yeah. exist in 
you know, in the dream worlds. This is where we gather our power from. So watch the movie with that in mind, that this is, you know, this is poetic. This is moving poetry. This is symbolic. This is a dream, you know, and what power can we gain as viewers going along that initiatic journey with the main character? What can we take from that that's useful? We're going to leave everything else behind, but it isn't inaccurate. You know, the, it definitely is an accurate portrayal of the mindset about witchcraft at the time, again, circa 1630. Well, I'll also say this, though. I, I think if we if we think of the forces at play in the movie as spirits. Okay. Mm, okay. I think that, which I, I think in life, we are constantly being manipulated by forces like that. Or, you know, to me, the job of the witch is to understand that and to harness that and to become part of that process. But... Um, if we think of, of those, we'll say those more, um, scary bits, you know, like spirits and, and those characters that kind of come in and go, I think the story did a wonderful job at, um, showing you what goes on in the mind when you're having a relationship with a spirit. Right, right, right. Um, and, and I think that's what makes witches uncomfortable because, you know, and this is why I'm writing the Witches Book of Spirits right now is because I feel like there's been a whitewashing and we're going to totally have an episode later on in the season about the whitewashing of witchcraft and and some of the things that went down. But um, to me, there's this, this need that they had in the 60s and the 70s to make witchcraft more acceptable. So they right. kind of sold the story that... We have to follow the law of three and we can't do magic for personal gain and all this other crazy bullshit. Well, and getting, I will also say to some degree, getting rid of the idea of the devil, you know, like distancing paganism has done a great job of distancing itself from the devil, but I will say, and this has been going on, you know, forever, but recently there have been some interesting voices cropping up in the blogosphere Mm -hmm. talking about, well, maybe it's time to invite the devil back in. And part of that is because by us voicing so strongly so loudly that we don't embrace the devil that that we you know oh no that's a christian thing we're buying in to the christian paradigm mm-hmm. you know by by doing that and so let's let's really look at that you know to some degree if we look at like the witch trials yeah. the devil was you know we might say that's the representative of the horned god that might be the priest somebody um in some traditions called the magister or the man in black you know we find this also in um some african-based right you know um traditions you know the 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 black man at the crossroads exactly who is the devil the african-american view of the devil you know is different you know in, in that folk tradition is different than like the overall christian view where the devil is totally evil and blah 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 you yeah. know in this other he's a trickster he's the antithesis of god yeah, yeah but in the in, but in this other view no he, he's a trickster you know yeah. he was somebody that you go to perhaps at the crossroads and make a petition to mm-hmm. you know um so there's some different ways to really embrace this but i i really find that um the idea of the devil really also does play a a role in what has been called traditional witchcraft, mm-hmm. which is kind of set aside from Wicca. Wicca, yeah. You know, and again, nothing wrong with Wicca. You no, know, but it, to me, Wicca is, this, is, this might sound a little weird, but I, I feel, because I, I, I went through Wiccan training. I, I have a third degree right. in Northern Star Wicca, um, and I, I firmly believe that Wicca is the most pagan version of witchcraft. I hear out you. There. And I what I mean you. by that is it, it tends to have a lot more of that green kind of aspect to it where it's, you know, it's about nature and communing with crystal. I mean, that's not Wicca itself, but, you know, but that seems to be what. Well, what commun- yeah, do, communing you know? with with nature and also um, it's it's a polytheistic right, religion. Right. You know, it, it is a religion and it is about working with different deities. Right. And that is not the entirety of witchcraft. You know, not right. all witchcraft is theistic. You know, some witchcraft doesn't deal with gods and goddesses at all. Right. Some witchcraft you couldn't necessarily be classified as religious. You might think of it as a devotional science, mm-hmm. you know, or you just might think of it as a, as a craft, right. you know. And so there's there's many different versions of witchcraft. And some versions of witchcraft are more, you know, geared towards the devil. You know, yeah. Wic- Wicca doesn't have the monopoly well, the there's craft. more. There's more going on than just Wicca. And Wicca. Oh, absolutely. And, and and so. And again, I don't want to downplay Wicca no, because no, it certainly it's, it's has a, had a huge, giant impact. Oh, huge! I mean, beyond. We wouldn't you know, be. I don't. I don't think we would be where we are today. None of us would Wicca. be. So no. you know, there's there's no there there's no harm. I'm not a practicing Wiccan any longer, but 
um, I, I feel very grounded and rooted because yeah. I did have that education. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. even in my tradition, the fairy tradition, it's a separate tradition right. from Wicca. It right. has a completely different initiatory lineage. Um, but even that, fairy will borrow from other sources, whatever works. And so fairy has borrowed heavily from Wicca right. over the years. So there's there's no way that we should downplay the importance of Wicca. But at the same time, I think it's important to recognize it is not the be-all, end-all of witchcraft. There is witchcraft outside of the Wiccan paradigm, and it's just as valid. Well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, but but that's, you have to be comfortable with that, I think. And if you're not comfortable with that, like the woman who, at PantheaCon, I got into like a little argument at PantheaCon uh, with a woman who, oh, yeah. who came into this, we had a Black Rose suite, which was a huge deal. Check out the website. There's photos and stuff up, but um and we we had this. Uh, it was a. It, w- it wasn't the meet. It was it wasn't the meet and greet. It, I think it, it was, was. It was. Oh, okay. It was a meet and greet that we were hosting at the Black Rose Suite, and um, she was. She seemed very nice, she very was, sweet. Yeah, but very adamant that Wicca was the oldest religion in the world. And she said it a couple times. You know, like, and she was angrily. Yeah, it. it was. And she was not going to be told. You know, otherwise. And and come on, folks. Uh, the earliest that we can trace Wicca back is 1939. Yeah. And that's being a little generous. Yeah. You know, and I, but I will say even still, that doesn't take away from its legitimacy. Not at all. No, I, and, and even, you know, like my church, like the, what I have sacred fires, this is a modern tradition that borrows heavily from the cult of Diana. Um, but it's, it's new. And I don't make any qualms about saying this is work that I've channeled. This is work that I've created. This is not coming from, you know, I had a, I had a conversation with a, a Wiccan, uh, a, I think he was Gardnerian, and, and he was basically, because Northern Star is kind of a branch of, of Gardnerian, and uh, he was asking me basically like, oh, are you giving away the secrets? I'm like, no, because to me they weren't secrets, but, you know, I mean, especially because you can find that Book of Shadows online nowadays, but, um, but you know, I was like, but no, I, no, I'm not doing that. That's not what I'm here for, but my work is my work, you know, and it's definitely right. like this thing inspired me. I went and chased it and I found a lot of wealth there. And that's what I teach to my students nowadays and things like that. But it is no, but I, I don't think that there's any harm in that. I, I think that if you are a teacher, if you are somebody who stands on the shoulders of your ancestors, that you're, this is what happens. Things, things like this emerge and, and kind of hive off of other things and whatnot. So, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with anybody creating witchcraft as long as it works and it's viable and it, and it can be reproduced. Like, that's great. Do it and teach people. Um, and it's in Wicca. Um, it seems to be that there's a lot of, well, they, they, they really argue over that legitimacy stuff and, and, um, if you're not Wiccan, you're not legitimate and and you have to get, well, and that, know. that of course I will say in all fairness, that happens a lot in my own tradition of fairy as well. You know, these, these, um, arguments that for the most part, I think are really a waste of time, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't want to say they're totally are because it depends on the context. You know, if somebody is claiming to be a Gardnerian initiate, you know, and they're not, you know, well, they're making false claims and that's a type of fraud, right. you know, but that's not where it ends. You know, what I often hear from people is like, oh, well, if you're not a Gardnerian, then you're not an actual witch. Right. <clears throat> and I will say, I've heard that even from fairy, you know, there's been, um, certain personalities within fairy tradition that have said, well, if you're not a fairy initiate, then you're really not much of a witch. And, you know, there is definitely that judgment, you know, there, and I don't share that, you know, I, I really feel that we're drawn to the particular type of witch power that mm-hmm. is in our soul. Yeah. And for me, fairy tradition and how I've developed fairy tradition and my own lineage of blue rose, that is what is the most powerful for me. Right. But I fully accept that whereas Gardnerian was not powerful for me, I assume it is powerful, you know, for those people who are drawn to that, mm-hmm. you know? And so I don't, I, I think it becomes less important than just a waste of time it becomes worse than just a waste of time to try to talk about well whose craft is more legitimate than somebody else's it sounds like we're you know getting into the realm of like the republican presidential debates here and comparing genitalia size and i I think that it's just it's less than useless well yeah i mean uh you know and this is the older i'm getting the more i'm i'm identifying as an occultist um, unless as a, a witch or, I mean, I mean, I'm a witch, there's no separating that, but, um, 
I, I like the term occultist more because I, I feel like occultists, at least the ones I know and the ones that I've read about and, you know, I've been privy to, they get together, they say, oh, I will, you know, let's just pull this out of my ass here, but let's say, oh, I wore purple spandex with um, yellow striped uh, hoodie and I invoked this spirit and it went really, really well. And then I did it again the next week and it was even better. And so I really recommend summoning this spirit wearing purple spandex and a yellow striped hoodie. <laughs> You know, that's what occultists do. They get together and Obviously, they talk about... that was not a gay spirit. Not at all. No. Flaming. No. Flaming gay. Um, who else am I going to conjure up? But, uh, you know, but, but, but that's what I'm talking about. Like, occultists tend to sit around. They talk about methodology. They talk about uh, what works, what doesn't work, why things work. They're not getting caught up in tradition wars, necessarily. Um, you know, I, I, that's what traditions do. I don't know. Do. I kind of think... They are to some degree. Well, I mean, there's traditions within occultism, you yeah. know, different magical oh, and lodges, there's, there's and there's such a history and, you know, of that, you know, but... and everybody throwing curses at each other, you know, whatever. And it's just, it, it gets so ridiculous to me because I really do think that this is, it's a waste of time and it's a waste of our energy. You know, it takes us away from doing what has been called the great work, right? You know, which is really developing ourselves and developing our power. Yeah. And as witches, I feel that our job as current practitioners of the craft is to better the craft, is to make it more powerful, right. is to find new ways of doing the old work, of making it relevant to our lives here in, in the modern world. Um, and this doesn't necessarily mean, oh, now it's going to be, you know, you know, for the masses. Witchcraft is never going to be a religion for the masses. But there are, are a lot of people who would benefit from some of the tools of witchcraft, mm -hmm. whether that's fairy tradition or Gardnerian or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of people, like myself included, who would not have been able to come to this path had it not been for people publishing books and, you know, writing and directing movies and things that just kind of right. tuned my consciousness toward the possibility of the craft. Right. Which is what the episode's about. Is, you know, these, these things that inevitably are going to end up pushing people towards the craft. Because, because that's, for me, it was knowing that magic existed because I was seeing it on TV, whether it was fantastical or not. Right. But seeing it's a story, what the but... people were doing with it and then realizing, hey, I, I talk to dead people and, and I need <clears throat> some help. And, you know, my evangelical life was not going to help me with, with talking to dead people. Um and so, you know, but I, but I saw the witches on TV doing it, so I knew I could go look at witchcraft, and there were some answers there, maybe. And, and thus, you know, Diane right. becomes a witch, and, and then a professional witch. Um, you know, mm -hmm. and, and so it's, um, I, I think shows like Buffy, I think shows, um, you know, like Salem, and like the magicians, and I think that they are bringing the awareness in a wonderful way back to kind of magic as it relates to people living in the 21st century. Um, not Salem so much, but Salem's just for fun and you get Lucy Lawless. So come on now. Um, but, um, well, I also think it's very, if we're looking at all these things in the terms of the poetic, then even something like Salem can be relevant to our practice today. And that's because amen, it's amen. very, I, I would say it's very symbolically inspiring you know, um, just watching them cast their spells and gathering their ingredients and how they're doing it. In fact, there there is one thing that I really took away from Salem specifically that I thought this is a truism, you know, of the craft. And it, it's repeated a couple times, you know, by the witches, most most notably Mary Sibley. But she said, or, or also, um, I believe, um, Tichuba, who's mm -hmm. also a character, yeah. you know, on the show. Um and a couple times they say, there can be no magic without arousal. Right. And this is really, for them, it's really talking about like sexual arousal, which really traditionally has been part of the universe of the witch, that she is a sexual figure. This is why we often see the witch portrayed as nude, because this is scandalous for the puritanical mindset. Um, and and it, it's bringing up, it's the repressed sexuality, you know, of the time. Well, the witch has often, you know, represented that. But in my own tradition of fairy, you know, um, sex, we, we often consider ourselves to be a sex cult. And what we mean by that is that we recognize that the life force that we're actually tapping into and using it in witchcraft is sexual in its nature. So when I hear somebody on Salem, you know, say there can be no magic without arousal, 
a little bell goes off in my brain and says, that's a truism. So this is one of those ways in which the hidden kingdom makes itself known to the masses. Maybe everything else is just fantastical and it's fun, but there's that one little bit of witch truth Mm -hmm. that gets out there to the masses and maybe it'll stick. Well, maybe it will. Um, Well, okay. Um, I think that we're going to wrap it up with that Um, because we're, we're hitting that time and I don't want it to be terribly long episode but i will say um if you're interested uh in more modern witch stuffs um you should totally check out the youtube channel um which you can find just by you can type in devin hunter you can type in modern witch um but uh i'm up on the youtubes uh doing videos the i did two of them so far the first one is on how to cast more effective spells uh, which is getting a lot of hits which is great and then i we did another one where storm and i cursed an asshole rapist dude who, uh, Roosh V, who was uh, promoting rape and trying to get it legalized in private property, uh, which is just crazy. So, um, and, and I talk about it more in the, in the video, so go check it out. But uh, uh, yeah, so we do that one too. And then, then of course, the Mystery Academy has got its own YouTube channel. Um, and I've done some videos on crystals and things that are up. So there's lots of material you can go check out. Um, Storm, you have a huge website full of lots and lots of material, uh, fairywolf.com. So go check out fairywolf.com. Um, and, of course, you can find me at devonhunter.net. Um, and on the tweets and Instagram and on Facebook, I am at Mr. Devin Hunter, all one word. And Storm? On Twitter, I'm at Storm underscore fairywolf. And you can also find me on Facebook. There you go. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll be back in probably just another week or two. Um, we've got uh, more episodes coming. We've got some really great stuff, some really great music. And of course, we've got some really great magic we're going to share with you folks. So thanks for tuning into this episode of The Modern Witch. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. <laughs>